Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and back in the fold this week, I don't know, he's the pitch bot to my Mr. Snippy Snips. <laughs> it's Brian. <laughs> well, I'm I'm back from a Scandinavian country in an undisclosed location. There you go. You know, Jamie filled in for you last week, but I kept thinking, you know, she had big shoes to fill. Big shoes. Big, big shoes. Big, 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 biggity, big, 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 big shoes. Well, I, I listened, and, and Jamie, and Jamie, and you did an excellent job, and uh, and she did a great job filling in for me. But I'm glad to be back. All right. Well, we 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 had a we had a video of you behind us. You know, we we manipulated and edited so you could say whatever we wanted you to say. <laughs> but anyway. As you know, and as everyone else knows, since you couldn't be here this week, we, last week, I mean, um, we did save last week's succession for this podcast episode, which means we are going to be doing a double dip here. I kind of like that it ends up being the fifth and sixth episodes of the final 10 episodes, because it means that we're going to cover both sides of the midway marker of the season, because, you know, it's a 10, 10 episode season. Mm-hmm. Now, I can only speak for myself. I can't control what you do, but I'm just going to let the folks out there as they listen, the listener know. I'm going to try, I'm going to really try not to cite things from the subsequent episode as we talk about the first of the two succession episodes. And my, 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 kind of my main rationale for doing it that way, because other than very vague ideas and directions, perhaps, no one when they work on the fifth episode, knows the complete details of what the sixth episode is going to be. You know, Jeremy Strong performing episode five has not read the script for episode six yet. He hasn't gotten it yet. That's not how it works. That I, that I guarantee. They're get, the director is told a few things they might need to know as far as tone, as far as what's going to, and, and direction for characters, but they, even they don't know the full story themselves. So since that's how the episode was done, I don't think that's how, I, sh- I should address it any differently if that makes any sense, and if it doesn't make sense, I don't really care. <laughs> no, and and I, but I, I think it it works really well too because we're going to go to two discrete locations. Um, so I, I I think that that that's a fine approach, and I may destroy your plan, but I'll try my best. All right, well, I'm just gonna go to like Bear Mountain or Bear Hill or wherever that thing was. Because um, speaking of which, besides Succession, we now, un- unlike Succession, we simply couldn't keep the previous episode of Barry on the shelf, so Jamie and I did cover that last week. But the latest, one might even say monumentally jaw-dropping installment, we will be sharing some of our words and thoughts and such on that one after we pound down these two Succession episodes. But, I've been wanting to bring this up for a while now. Before we get to the actual episodes, folks, I have a question. I'm going to pose it to Brian, but it's for you listeners as well, you know, and feel free to weigh in on our Facebook page or <laughs> be nice if one, we've never gotten a tweet back from anybody, <laughs> a tweet, wherever. Here's the very, very basic question. The opening credits, which by the way, 
every season there are they are updated there are certain changes made to them you know reflecting the story that actually do reflect some of the storylines for that season and and some of how the dynamics have changed family wise as well as power wise whatever but the really basic question is I'm talking about the the old grainy disjointed family videos throughout the opening credits my question is are we or maybe should I say are you supposed to think that that's actually the Roy family. Now, I personally have very definite opinions about this. And I've even... And I'm not crazy. There are actually multiple extensive articles about this very topic. So I'm not crazy for, for thinking this is something worth mentioning and worth asking about. I'm just curious what other people think. Because it's one of those things I think people... I think they have almost an incredulous, they'll say, of course it's this, or of course it's that. So, Brian, I don't think we've ever mentioned this between us. If we have, and I'm forgetting, that's, you know, I'm early onset of Alzheimer's, well, who knows. What do you think? And, and, and I, and I want a real answer. Don't don't go wishy washy on me. <laughs> no, I, I my gut feeling is yes. Uh, it is the Roy family, and it's funny that you mention this because there's a particular thing that happens in it. Um, well, there's two particular things that the daughter has, you know, noticeably red hair, and the way that the older male in the scene, you know, straightens himself up turns away and the way he walks away gives me the sense that it it's trying to convey Logan Roy or a, or a patriarch maybe that predates Logan Roy, maybe his father. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, maybe they're at their grandfather's place or whatever, but I, I, I tend to think yes. Interesting. I do not, I do not think it's them. I think there are. I think there are things that are done that are supposed to um, make us think of them, certainly. But if you look at the credits for all four seasons, there will be certain details you'll see which don't make any sense if it's supposed to be them. One being, I believe, in at least one of the seasons, there's two girls. Kind of a problem, unless there's an unknown sister that we don't know about. Um, uh, the the the. There's too many things that don't really quite line up, both the timing and era of of what the videos appear to be, um, the relative ages and the lack of disparity in certain situations there. Um, I just, my feeling is, and I'd love to, I mean, I should actually look more into it because maybe there's actually an interview with, like, say, Jesse Armstrong and those folks, you know, the, the, the people behind the show, that w- which would actually be the definite, definitive thing. And, and they may very well say, oh, of course it is. It's supposed to be them. And so I don't mind being, I won't mind being wrong about this if it, if it ever is told definitively that it is them. But my feeling is it's almost more um, borderline metaphor. You know, they, they represent the Roy family. But they're not the actual Roy family. I just don't think so. And I don't care about the back of the headshot that becomes him at the end of it. That means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. But I was making a joke about this um, a week or two ago with with my friends. Because um, I was scoffing at the idea of it being the actual Roy family. Because I was like, no, it's not. It's like, you know, 
you know, if that if, if that's the Roy family, then the guy falling from the building in the animated credits for Mad Men really is Don Draper after all. It's not. Um, <laughs> and he actually did die. No, spoiler, he didn't. Anyways, so that's just, again, I don't think there's a, until, until I, until I find something from someone behind the show that says it definitively, I'm going to take it as something. And I hope that, I actually hope no one ever does answer that. And I think it's more open to interpretation, which is how I'm reading it. And this is just how I'm choosing to read it. Um, and I haven't seen anything to convince me otherwise. So, but I, well, but I was wondering, I was wondering what, what other people thought about it. Well, in, in, you know, without knowing the answer as we sit here, the, you know, the possibility is that that opening sequence was created before they cast the show oh, yeah. and, and it was intended to represent the family but in casting, they found people in ages that that didn't fit that opening credits. But they thought that it it could be, you know, sort of a representation of them, as you say, instead of that. It could have been the intention that it would be. But, you know, then they found these wonderful actors and it, it didn't match up with that. So who yeah. knows? Yeah. Like I said, it, it, I might I, I don't know if I'm in the minority opinion on this. I, I kind of hope I am. I, I love being in the minority opinion. Um, I, it's just, I, I, cause I, I watched them from week to week, you know, like, cause I was looking for the, how the details have changed. And I actually went back and I watched them, um, from each season. And I noticed, oh, well, that's kind of cool. It's, it's, it's like the wire having a totally different thing. Well, so some things are the same and then you have other things that are different or odd. Actually, it, it's an HBO thing. If you really think about it now that I think about it, um, hold on. so I was just curious cause we never brought it up. So, all right. Got that out of the way. Let's get this party started. With the fifth episode of Succession from a thousand years ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was. But the title was Kill List, something I'm sure we all keep handy in our wallets and iPhones. At least at least I know I do. <laughs> so as <laughs> as that episode started, and hopefully y'all can remember it, I remember thinking, Hey, you know, here's Kendall in the car and his, you know, hip hop music. It, it's Kendall Classic. But then I realized that's not true. That's not true. This isn't Kendall classic. This is new and improved Kendall. Because the first time, and I went back and watched it, that's why I was able to watch the opening credits and everything, the first time we meet Kendall in season one, he's also driving up to the Waystar building. He's also listening to a hip-hop song in the back of a car. But back then, he's wearing headphones, He's singing along rather poorly. <laughs> he's pretty much looking as uncool as possible. You know, he steps out of the car. Or he looks like he's kind of nervous. He takes a drag of a cigarette. He puts it out. He walks into the building and the office is by himself. He's, he comes off like he's an outsider. But he's the outsider that wants and hopes to be accepted. He wants to become part of something and to be respected. This time, the hip-hop's playing... He's just totally chill. He's wearing shades. He's not singing along. He strides confidently straight into the building. He's immediately given an entourage of little helper bees. And when he enters the office, all eyes are on him this time, unlike last time. Now he's like a conquering hero. 
I just thought that was very, it was very interesting. Like, I mean, it, it was clearly deliberate. I mean, it was, cause I, I remember that was the first thing other than I think Logan Roy having a little bit of a, a heart issue in, in his bathroom. Uh, the, the, one of the first things we see when we put, when we first watched succession was Kendall coming to the office. So I think they were deliberately doing that kind of little parallel there. Oh, it was a definite callback. And I think we saw the, the naive Kendall who, dreamed of being a mogul and now we see a kindle who has that within his grasp yeah now unfortunately we didn't get to see what kind of reception roman got when he showed up at the office because apparently he got there kind of early because he is already there he's got his own team of little mini centurions and so on now i love that the brothers were likely only half serious when they suspect that these teams have been foisted upon them presumably i guess by the old guard of like you know jerry carl and frank are like human listening devices <laughs> which i thought was a really beautiful way to describe them yeah so in in that opening scene uh, you know after some business about a movie shoot is briefly mentioned and agreed upon and it's time to really focus on their trip to go see Lucas Matson, And finally, someone gets Shiv, who clearly is already feeling like she's being marginalized here. Um, it seems like they, they've almost all gotten this email <laughs> about this trip, you know, overseas. And it's beyond the increasingly kooky late night ones from uh, that Kendall apparently sends to them or the, the, the joke they drop about the 33,000 emails from Jerry, which... Pretty sure they're making a Hillary Clinton joke when they say 33,000 emails. Mm-hmm. But Matson wants, quote-unquote, everyone to come to Norway. And they initially surmise, oh, maybe it's for some sort of cultural compatibility check. Which really sounds like an odd move at this point. And I was like, does anyone think that would be what it is? No, it can't be that. But it's what they have to do because they don't want to blow the deal. They don't want to look weak. They still got to go, as they say, they got to go bleed the Swede. So then there's some business on the tarmac with the plane. I love that we get, you know, Greg is still more the hapless loser. He's trying to be a bro, but he's more of a schmo. I like that Tom is keenly aware that his standing with, does he call them the Greys? Is that what he's calling them? (laughs) It's shaky. And you can, again, see how Carl is speaking down to him while he's straightening his, uh, his comp- I think it's compression socks he's got on. Um, sadly, I'm a little familiar with those myself nowadays. Um, but, oh, have the, the thing, Carl, Carl is getting increased. I mean, we're going to talk about it later, too, especially, but, geez, once Logan, you know, once Logan, you know, went, went, went to the afterlife, Carl suddenly grew us, grew a pair. Noticed that with that character, Jesus. I, I think the the thing that I've noticed is, uh, in in maybe a regrettable, maybe a not regrettable way, I think Greg has sort of lost some of his screen time and. Uh, part, but they've really elevated Carl. Uh, of the of the old guard, he's sort of emerged uh, in a surprising way. I think probably the if you were betting odds, Vegas would have made Frank the favorite mm-hmm. to be higher on that ranking. But Carl, Carl's really coming out and swinging a sledgehammer. Touch. I'm gonna ignore that one. Well, the problem with Frank would be he would. 
definitely be a Ken- Kendall would definitely be in favor of Frank, but Roman has always had major issues with Frank, so you, you'd you have that kind of push and pull kind of situation there. Not that Kendall would seem to map minds considering what he's already done, but whatever. Um, meanwhile, Shiv is clearly bothered by the the media teardown of their father, which is a thing we saw Kendall begin the engineering of um, at the end of the previous episode. Um, it's I think it seems also the truth is what's bothering her. It really seems like it's elevating the the, the B roll bros. <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, after maybe a little bit more wincing about that whole movie budget overrun situation, they just want to concentrate on the Madsen situation. Because it's interesting, because at this point, we don't really know how Roman feels about, you know, all the knives that are being stuck into their dead dad. It seems like Shiv is the only one who's even commenting on it. Rome, Roman seems to be kind of checked out on it. Um, there's also a lot of concern among the uh, communications and others, you know, because the last time Matt and his young and fit staff took over a company, there was only, apparently there was only a 10% retention rate. So Jerry tries to talk them up in the face of their, well, clear wussiness. Um, but, you know, it's one of those reminders like, oh, wait, this is title Kill List. Oh, that's the kind of thing they worry about with Kill List. Got it, got it, got it. Right, right, right. So they make their way to the Norwegian retreat. And by the way, I'm pretty sure they actually went and filmed it in Norway. It looked, I'm pretty sure about that. If I'm wrong, I apologize because it seemed like they spent a shit ton of money on this episode, quite frankly. Well, and I think in the after the episode, I think uh, uh, Karen Culkin actually said something about being up on that mountain. And when he filmed the scene, like he did, he was so into it. He didn't even look around and see the beauty. And people are like, it's gorgeous up there. And he like walked back up the mountain to look at it because he didn't even pay attention to did, it while they're filming the scene did, with Madsen. Did they say where they filmed it? Because I because. I, was it in, did that did they actually go to Norway? Did they go to Norway, Iceland? Iceland is usually the go-to place a lot for a lot of filming, so they might have just went there instead. I don't know. I may I may have just you know created that out of my head, but but I think they really went somewhere. I mean, this show has spent the cash this year. Oh yeah, no doubt, and it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, they went somewhere on location. Yeah. I, I, I was just waiting for dragons to show up at this point. Anyway, <laughs> that's HBO show spending money. That's usually what happens when that. Anyway, so the negotiating team <laughs> taking the cable car up to the top, all, uh, aka something Scott will never do because Scott will never get into a cable car. Just saying. Um, I thought it was funny that there's a there's a certain point during that cable car ride where Shiv. Shiv is essentially quoting Mike Tyson. Did you get, did you catch that when when she says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth? It's yeah, like, yeah. That's I mean it, it 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 she didn't say it as cool as Tyson actually said it, but it's basically a Mike Tyson quote, which I thought totally, was kind of funny. totally. But anyway, at this point, it it's a numbers game as far as dealing with Mats, and they know the number they want to hit when they what where they would like to go and so on. Now, in the midst of all this, that's when they start getting calls from Connor, and he's worrying that Marsha wants to have Logan in a kilt at his funeral. <laughs> so it, it's interesting how, how significant or interesting a character Connor's been for the previous episodes, but it, when we get to this point, he's actually, I'll use the word marginalized one more time, he's marginalized as just pure comic relief, 
you know, in these little spurts and phone calls whining about their impending um, father's funeral, which they still haven't gotten to, by the way, which is very interesting. I would have thought they would have gotten to that already. It's kind of, did they skip it? Or, I, I thought there was going to be a funeral episode. Um, I still think there will be. So then there's that brunch. <laughs> so here's a question. Who comes off worse at the brunch? Tom or Hugo? <laughs> because they're bo- they both put their feet, they put both feet and probably a, f- a hand or two, two in their mouth with, the, with everything they say to people there, where you're just like, oh my God. Oh, does this show suddenly take place in Scranton or something? Because uh, <laughs> everything they're saying is like, that's the wrong thing to say. Oh my God. Uh, I'm going to vote that still that Tom comes off worse because what Hugo says actually probably really did piss that guy off and mess with him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like if you tell an athlete, man, you know, just tenths of a second, you could have had that bronze. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's petty, but botting. What Tom does is just straight douchey. And, and so I, I would say Tom comes out worse, but Hugo probably ends up on the radar more. Uh, I mean, right, you know. right, 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 right. Makes perfect sense. So they get to the mountaintop and Lucas arrives. And then we get the scene, which I will refer to as the initial negotiation. And this is the initial negotiation between Lucas and the two Roy boys. And that's when we find out that he wants ATN in the deal. And he offers like 187 per share. Now, Roman, in this moment, he's kind of in this-is-not-what-dad-wanted mode. Although, it, but in at, at this point in time, it feels like Kendall could actually let it go. So, and it's funny, just, I like to track these kind of things, especially when, especially when someone like Kendall's involved, because we've seen Kendall be, in, in earlier episodes this season, he's thinking one way, and then all of a sudden he switches, and he, he, he he's the biggest flip-flopper. <laughs> Of all of them, quite frankly, um, but of course they still got to give the uh, the deal parameters to the old guard. They're all excited about it, um, but it, it's just it, it's interesting because I think this is the first time we've. I know they've spoken on the phone. Yeah, they spoke on the phone, but we've never seen Kendall and Lucas meet face to face before. I don't think. Because I think. I, I- I don't think so. No. Yeah, all the scenes were before were with um, Roman and Roman Logan. and Logan when they yeah. flew to Italy or wherever to see him. But but I thought I thought it was uh, it was well done that in the negotiation they very clearly block and stage the scene uh-huh. that Matson Matson reads the room and pays most attention to Kendall and not to Roman. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I, I am. I'm finding um, Skarsgård's Lucas more fascinating with every successive episode he's shown up in. I mean, he's, I mean, look, he's a, ver- he's a very um, magnetic actor, you know, you know, he was one of the, mo- he was one of the few things I actually liked about True Blood back in the day. And I've seen him in a few other things over the years, some things that weren't very good, but he was still actually kind of good in them. You know, he's obviously the family's got a, a little acting lineage there <laughs> as well. Um, it's a, I, I get. I love that he's ha- obviously having a lot of fun with this part, and I keep. Th- I keep in my mind thinking of, hmm, who do you, who, what, what real life <laughs> person do you think he's kind of modeled after? Because it seems like he's, he's at the very least he's an amalgam of a couple people. I mean, uh, I don't want to say, 
but I think we all know. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I mean, de- definitely. But it, there, there are, uh, shall I say, idiosyncrasies that I think track with a couple of different tech bros. Right. Although I, although I think he might be a little smarter, but not sure because you know some people seem like they're smart, and then all of a sudden, oh wait, they're not. Well, huh. well, I, I, I will, I, I will point out. I, I, I think when he took this role, at the time he took it, <laughs> he, you know, he probably thought like this will be a cool thing to do to go do this prestige drama, um, and you know, I'm a pretty big guy. I don't know that he knew he was stepping into the ring. And I, I don't think we knew at, probably at the time he signed on, like he was stepping into the ring with heavyweights. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, when this started, I think we all were like, Oh, look, a Culkin. Oh, look, Jeremy strong. Well, that guy's interesting. And now like this cast, oh my God. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, he, he unwittingly like signed on to, to a, a rocket ship and had no idea. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, 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 it, you know, it's, it's 10,000 leagues above you know, something like true blood. I, oh, I think he's in one of those other HBO series. I haven't seen like the, the big little lies or one of those things. I forget which one yeah. it is. He's in one of those. I forgot about that. Um, and then he's supposed to be pretty good in that too, but I he haven't is. seen it. Okay. Let me get back on track because we've got a lot of succession to talk about here. So after they approach the old guy, Shiv thinks ATN is toxic anyway, especially because she's actually found out that there's a deal between ATN that they have with the uh, the the presidential candidate Mencken, um, who when he's not you know uh, a DA in LA in the 1930s, he's <laughs> he's a severe right wing political candidate in the 2020s because <laughs> you know same actor perry anyway yeah um later you know on the other side of the cable car track we see tom uh, tom 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 awkwardly tries to sit with lucas and the swedes <laughs> While Greg is trying to make Quad Squad a thing with the trio. Quad Squad. Quad Squad. Now, there's an interesting moment that happens here. It's when, because that dude, he he gets mocked by Lucas and his cohorts, and that kind of pisses off Ken. Although I'll notice, if you think about Ken in this moment, and then you think about Ken in the initial negotiation, and then you go back to that phone call that he had with Lucas um, a couple episodes ago um, when he ends up sw- switching his uh, – changing his mind about the whole deal thing way back then, whatever. Um, it it kind of simply seems like Lucas really rubs Kendall the wrong way. It seems like he's going to – he almost needs to be contrary to Lucas. I think he just he just bugs him. And yes, we can get into the reasoning why, because of stuff with his father, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. It just, but it, it seems like it, it's an oil and water thing between them. And maybe it's, it could be as simple as like, oh, they're the two alphas, perhaps. And, you know, that's, and, and Roman isn't quite that way, whatever. Um, but I just noticed that keeps happening. It's like the third time. Well, you have, this is, I mean, if you count the slights, this is the third slight Lucas has showed him. Yes. First is summoning them to come you know, like, Hey, you have to get on a plane first. Second is offering to buy ATN for a dollar. 
And then doing, oh, I was joking with him and Roman, the bullshit, like, Uh oh, I was just joking to get a rise out of you. And then he sees this, and and I think what really pisses him off is they switch to Norwegian and joke, and he doesn't know what they're saying, but, you know, knows that they're making fun of Tom and probably the rest of them. And and it's building, which is funny because it's building inside Kendall, but he's not ultimately the one who explodes. And I would be curious. I would be curious to think Jeremy strong would be great to ask if he played it that way. And his, in his mind, knowing that, that he felt that way, but that Roman was the better one to blow up on him later Mm. instead of him. That's interesting. I don't, it, it's I I I'm reluctant to give Kendall enough credit to be that calculating in advance, even though he's certainly done things which would would qualify. So I don't know why I'm I'm maybe and so maybe in a way I'm kind of underestimating him. I probably am, whatever. But in this scene, I call it, this is called, this is what I call the second negotiation. Yeah, and this is not pretty. And basically, what it comes down to, which you know. You know that he him referring to um, ATN and everything. It's a part shop, bad brand, and of course they're taking that personally. And one must always always keep in mind this is all happening within twenty four thirty six hours of their father dying, and the shock of that, which was because not like he was on a sick bed or something. So it, it it's it, it's a really twisted dynamic that's happening here. And it, we it, when when that happens, you you can already anticipate. Oh, they're totally going to try to tank the deal at this point. Do they? I mean, they don't. Especially because they already feel like they've already they've already gotten they they've got the chair, they got the throne, so to speak. Right. You know, you know it's there. There are two interesting things that happen around this time. Uh-huh. And you didn't talk about one of them, but and and it passes by. But I think it's fairly crucial and that is for the first time greg turns on tom um that before tom sits down with madsen he tells greg hey i'm gonna beat up on you in front of them like don't take it personal Uh and greg stabs him in the back greg starts trying to have an intelligent conversation and doesn't let tom make fun of him the way he always does so you see greg sort of making a move to try to impress madsen at Tom's well, expense. Well, the person that Kendall defends, if I'm not mistaken, he's not defending Tom. He's defending Greg. Correct. Greg, Greg's family. Correct. At, at the end of the day, Greg's family. Tom is married to family, and he's also and he knows that that's not going. At least at this point in time, that's not going very well. Tom also he also and he also knows Tom is the the betrayer, the traitor. Right. Um. So he's been, so yeah. That is that is a good point to bring up because Greg at least can see. What which side of the bread is is buttered? Someone's like, yeah. hence why he's sucking up to them. Why the quad squad thing is happening? He's not hanging. He's not you know following Tom around like a little lap dog. Now he's trying to follow you know Roman and um, Kendall there. So yes, you're absolutely right for pointing that. I apologize for not uh, not taking a note on that. But we got this little bit of oddness. <laughs> 
between uh, Lucas and uh, a woman who I guess is his assistant, Ebba. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with the the situation with the the between Logan and his former assistant, or maybe there is something like that. Um, she was there. Uh, Ebba is their head of comms, but it also seems to imply that even you know often. They're in Norway, where they're supposed to be so much more evolved. They're really still not that far removed from the old school misogyny that we've certainly seen in a place like like a Waystar, for that example. Um, but Lucas has this very interesting and very brief moment with Shiv, and I think, and this I think is an important little piece that's going to play out for the rest of this episode and then the following episode as well. You know, it's basically just like it's potentially there. That just means just needs to come down to a number. Now, I'm also going to say it. I when this episode was over, it's my belief, and it, maybe it'll never. I mean, it's just my thinking. It's my belief that there was a conversation between Matson and Shiv that we didn't see that happens in this episode. That 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 would that would happen in the timeline of this episode. I I am, I am convinced, and I cannot be convinced otherwise of that. I don't think. I mean, I'll get when we get to it later. You know, I I, I just think it has to be what happened. I I agree, and I think uh, uh, you get the sense in uh, Skarsgård's portrayal that when Madsen sets his eyes on someone, like he he doesn't stop. Oh yeah, he's rel- yeah. There's, there's a relentless thing, you know. You know, next thing you know, you get bricks of blood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Which starts oddly as a joke, but then becomes serious. Yeah, and then kind of psychotic. <laughs> exactly. So then there's like this whole club night at the retreat, and but you know while all that's going on, you have Kendall. At this point, Kendall wants to tank the whole deal. And it clearly, it doesn't take him long to wear down Roman and get him to agree to it. And it's very no, no, it's very obvious. They haven't spoken to Shiv about this as of yet, you know. But at the same time, coincidentally or not, she's actually talking to Lucas about the whole deal. You know, they make the not yet brilliant but obvious, but obvious observation: if you offer more money, they'll just take it. Yeah, um, I. If I'm not mistaken, I th- oh, that's right. He actually asks her about the Tom situation, which she doesn't, she's not really keen on talking about. And that's what leads to him tell, telling the story about Eva. Right. Which, if there's one good thing about this situation, it's the first thing. Oh, so he's kind of fucked up. All right. Didn't know that before. <laughs> now we do. He's, except instead of keeping it in the closet, he's he's revealing it to her. You know, which is very interesting because there's no reason for him to convey that to her. He could have kept kept the lid on that. But um, no. And and I thought I thought as that scene went down that this Titan person who's relentless in this mogul, that as he sits there in the in the scene, um, he's sort of almost pathetic in a way that Kendall is that he's doing drugs. He's pining for somebody who clearly like it, it was a messed up relationship that he made something really serious out of. And he's just really weird. 
he's just really odd. And, you know, I, you think, I mean, what, what has Kendall struggled with, you know, substance abuse being, having a very off kilter sense of, of relationships, having some really negative relationships with women in his life. Um, so, so I think, I mean, Shiv has seen this before and I, and probably is slightly flattered because he's not an unhandsome man, but she sees like behind the curtain, he's just as flawed as her brother and, and other people. Interesting. Yeah. So later that evening, Ken actually runs into Greg and I had to look up her name. Like, I have to admit it. Jess. I'll probably forget it right after I've said it now. So they're going to use Greg to spread some bad PR about the meeting and uh, maybe also help arrange, also make sure we get a meeting arranged. I think Jess takes care of this to screen that movie, the one that's going way over budget and clearly needs reshoots and whatever. Must be like a Zack Snyder movie or something. Anyway, (laughs) it's all part of the plan to try to tank the deal. Next morning, once again, Shiv is reacting to news of the day. Much like the smearing of her father, now it's about who is leaking information about the meeting going poorly. I think in both instances, Shiv knows damn well who's doing it. <laughs> but, you know. But in front of the whole gang, Kendall sounds like he'll, he'll you know, he'll just try to cost, drive up the cost. So either, you know, get, get them at one get at 146, so they'll make a boatload more money by selling it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we already know that's not what he wants to do. And it's clear that he's not, he and Roman are not going to tell Shiv what their real plan is at this point. So they take a cable car back to the mountaintop. And that's when Roman gets kind of upset by a photo Connor sent. Um, presumably it's a, it's a shot of how their father looks as he's being prepared for, I guess, an open casket funeral. And it clearly upsets him. And now, at first, I was thinking, oh, it upsets him enough to be too distracted. But in a way, it's the other way around. It kind of focuses him, you know, especially it focuses him to the extent of, you know, anything involving or referencing or in any way knocking their father is going to set him off, which is what eventually happens. Even though he doesn't actually insult their father, it's quite the opposite. But Lucas starts to get frustrated because, and then when when you watch these two and you realize, um, you realize okay, the, both Kendall and Roman, and it's not like they might not have any accomplishments in their life, but they've been hand, but generally speaking, they've been handed stuff. They do not have great people slash negotiating skills. I mean. They went up there with a plan, and they are completely awkwardly fumfering through what they're doing here. Um, I, I, it, it's it, it's 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 rather painful to watch. And Lucas is on. Lucas is pretty much on to what they're doing from from the get go. And he and he, I think at this point he's kind of incredulous because, dude, these are two. They're these are two little billionaires. Yeah, who have now been gotten, who now have the keys to the kingdom, but they've been part of that kingdom in some form all these years, and they're acting like rank amateurs. Or Lucas calls them Scooby Doo's. By the way, 
I'm not sure why he calls them Scooby-Doo's, but I love it. I was almost going to use that in the introduction, but I, I know I should have. Um, but he actually says that their father would be embarrassed by them. And that, go on. He, he lit the fuse in the prior scene where he said, like, you guys are a fucking tribute band. That like he he found the emotional key to them. You want to piss them off? Uh-huh. Like it's not attacking Logan Roy directly. It's saying you're a pale imitation of him, and, and you can't live up to him. Um, which is what all these kids have struggled with the whole time. And exactly. And so he he lit that fuse the last time they talked. He called them a tribute band. And when he says, like, your dad would be embarrassed, like, you don't even know how to play the game. Like, he basically says you're way out of your depth. And, and I love there's a scene in this that I made a note and I said, my God, look how huge Skarsgård is compared to these two guys. Like, he is a hulking figure as they go up the mountain. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he looks like Andre the Giant com- compared to these two guys. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I I don't have it in front of me. I'm pretty sure Skarsgård is at minimum six four. He might be six six. He's a very tall guy. He's I a, think he's six four. I think I think well, that's right. Six but. four is probably what it is. Culkin's t- we know Culkin's tiny. He's yeah. clearly tiny. Jeremy Strong's not terribly tall either. Neither, so so you you're absolutely right. He's well, he 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 is gonna he's gonna look like he towers over them just in general anyway. And especially when you do a forced perspective, you know, especially if he's above them climbing up a mountain, he's gonna look exactly the way you described. And like, not, not he's a nice giant. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So and that's where in this scene, that's when Roman loses it. And he's going through the whole thing. You couldn't, you know, and it, and it starts off rationally. And then it escalates. You know, it starts off when I'm going on. You, you know, you couldn't just push this by a week. He, he, he's making the point how unfair it was. Like, you know, our father just died, and you, you still forced us to do all this. And then he's, and then he, it just starts to get nastier and nastier. And, and of course, if if it's Roman, there's got to be some cursing involved in there at some point. You know, and he finally says, you know, we're not fucking selling to you. You know, and you can, and if you tell the board, I said anybody, you know, I'll just say this is a negotiating tactic. You know, you heard that right? Whatever. I, I mean, like the two lines I wrote, like I, that I loved, and and you're right, like it, it, he slow burns to full supernova yep. by the end of it, and it's almost him, like releasing the stopper on his grief, on his dad, and the pain and the anger, and he directs it all at Madsen. But the two things I wrote is he wrote you fucking dog man. He call he calls him a dog man. Yep. Um, and and by the end of it, he, you know, and he says he says I fucking hate you. And and there's no, I mean, it's just as brutal as it can be. And the thought I had by the time this ended is Roman actually articulated everything he said in such a way about the way Madsen had acted and treated them uh-huh. that, that I almost was like, like good tank the deal and screw this guy over. Fuck him. I thought you were going in a different direction there. Okay. No, no, no. Like, like, I mean, you know, to, to, to use Perry Mason, he delivers a very strong closing argument to Madsen that as an audience member, 
you can be like, you know, these guys might be bumbling in and out, but this guy really did treat them pretty shitty at a bad time. And, and, and Roman's emotion is, is so powerful that, that it almost makes you think it's a good idea to tank the deal. I also think at a certain point during his diatribe, as it escalates and, and emotion plays a bigger and bigger part in it, um, he's not talking to Lucas anymore. Absolutely. He's talking, he's talking to his dad. Yeah. The fucking hate you is to his dad. Yeah. It's the thing he can't say. The, it, I mean, I won't get into any, as I promised at the beginning of the podcast, I won't get into details of what happens in the subsequent episode, but I will say this at least, just in general. It's interesting that um, at the beginning of the season, when we were looking at how the characters and their storylines were taking place and, and who we thought was... Uh, the focus was going to be on. And it was interesting that the way we saw things, you know, in the first one or two episodes as, Oh, this is going to be a very Roman centric season. And he's really taking his place and he's whatever he's building himself. And it's interesting that on one hand, there is, there, there is a lot with Roman going on, but it's going in a totally different direction than what we had estimated. Cause we thought even cause it's, it's a down, it's as much it's it's not the downward spiral that say Kendall had a couple season a season or two ago, but it's not good, <laughs> and it's and we and we again I don't want to get into specifics about in the next episode, but it's thing after thing after thing, and it's like oh he's 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 spiraling he's I mean, the only thing that's covering him is like saying the next episode is you know is the fact that your his brother is the you know the king of depression and downward spirals himself but he's he's almost as bad and i think you know everything from when we had the previous episode where we talked about how he uh he pre-grieved which we clearly see well, that didn't really work out so well and it keeps rising all Oh, yeah. Throughout this episode. Hence why he's willing to go along with, you know, the idea of tanking so fat, whatever. It, because also, if he holds on, because I think there's a little part of him, if he if they tank the deal, he holds on to being, you know, co-CEO, and he can actually prove that he was actually, he was actually, you know, a worthwhile fucking, you know, someone who deserved, you know, power and respect, as opposed to being the weird little sexual deviant, uh, you, you know, youngest son kind of thing. Well, and I think there's a romantic quality, the idea that they could change ATN and make it better um, and and then somehow come out from under the shadow of their dad right. and and destroy the part about their dad they didn't like in ATN and make it something different. Right. Although it, what's funny about that stands, and it's I'm, I'm sure that does play some part in it at least, but it's a remarkably naive view because oh, totally. it's not, I'm sorry. It's just, it, I, I personally don't just don't think it's possible. I don't, I just don't think it's possible. So getting back to how, you know, the, the scene on the mountain, um, I love the, it wasn't the plan, but maybe it was. And I think that's where uh, Roman drops a line. If a deal collapses in the woods and no one hears it, isn't it an SEC violation? Yeah. <laughs> I love that line. So, after all this, they're on the plane, and it seems that Kendall and Roman haven't let anything on. Although it's interesting, again, gotta say it. If you look at the two of them on the plane, it's a rarity. Roman looks like he's more miserable than Ken. 
which is really saying something considering there are memes all about Kendall looking miserable, depressed. But, you know, it's just like what he said himself at the mountaintop. He's just really fucked up. But a call comes in. Now, an average average viewer might be thinking with their expectation, oh, okay, this is going to be Lucas pulling back all his offers. But nope, that's not what happens. He ups the offer by another five to 192 a share, which is incredibly amazing. And of course, that's the offer that's going to be taken to the board. And it seems like everybody on the plane is happy. Well, except Roman and Ken, because it's clearly what not what they wanted. It's around this point, Shiv gets a call from Lucas himself, and he, I love that he asks her to send her a photo of the two brothers. Because <laughs> clearly that they don't look happy, which means it's a win-win for him at that point. Well, he, he says, show me their faces. Oh. Like, he, he wants to see the look on their face. Like, um, and, and there are two thoughts I had. One is, um, was there a part of him that grudgingly admired that Roman did that? Uh, and, and it, it wasn't something he expected. Um, and when it did, like he put his personal feelings aside and thought, you know, Hey, like that was, I could see Logan Roy telling me to fuck off. Like, like I, I see a little bit of their dad in that. Huh. Uh, and, and the other is like, Hey, like you guys think you're something. Let me show you what real power looks like. I'm going to go more with the second one. I yeah, don't, me too. I don't think he gave a fuck about what Roman said. I think he went, I think this was all already talked about with Shiv. I think Shiv knew about this. Um, she has a very interesting conversation with Tom here um, because it seems clear early on at this point for a minute there that he's not going to be retained. But my impression is I think there was a call between her and Lucas because shortly after that, the advanced copy of that kill list does surface, and most of them are on that kill list, except Carolina, Jerry, and Tom. <laughs> and how else How else does Tom get stay off that kill list, if not from a conversation with Shiv? Especially because Tom did not make a good impression on them at that, you know, at that table earlier, whatever. The only one who might have said something for that would have been her. So, my think my thinking is earlier on in the episode, Lucas mentions doing an end run around them, but it's not like he was going to make an end run onto the board. I think he did an end run around them to her, and the only reason she doesn't go public about that it's because she wants to save face for the family and because she's aware that her both her brothers are fucking damaged now, and to re- to actually to reveal what happened would embarrass them. It would just be humiliation for them. So got to give her a lot of credit because, you know, she's kind of, she has to bite her tongue on the fact that she's actually the one that's probably more responsible. At least that's the way I'm choosing to read read this. And based on the episode we're about to talk about, I'm pretty sure I'm right about it. I'm pretty sure based on all those conversations that happened between Shiv and Lucas throughout the next episode, it's like, yeah, she... She's the inside man for him, and she's the one who's who's I think is more responsible for this than than anyone else. At least that's the way I'm viewing it. No, I, I view it that way. I, I think that uh, even if 
even if they're, the conversation wasn't as business detailed as you and I think, the relationship that she's built with him makes him want to stay in the deal. Like, yeah. and, and, and that's it. And oh, by the way, it, it doesn't need because we're not talking about a conversation that requires, you know, 8,000 different, um, you know, codicils and this, that, and the other things to figure out what they're. No, 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 no. It's just the, the conversation is simply, yeah, ATN's in the deal. Just make it more money. What was the last number? 187 is like 192. There you go. That, that'll work. That's your conversation. But it's because of the two of them, because he likes her and respects her. I don't think he likes or respects either of the other two. I agree. And, and it could be as simple as what's the number I could tell the board that they would tell Kendall and and uh, Roman to go to hell if I make it. And she says, oh, 192. And yeah, something, something along it. those lines. Oh, and, and, and they would say, and you know, come on, it's succession. They would, t- they would tell them to fuck off. They wouldn't tell them to go to hell. <laughs> totally, totally. All right, so let's skip on to the next episode, which is Living Plus. And I was so disappointed be- when I discovered what Living Plus actually was because I was I thought it was going to be a streaming service like Apple Plus and Disney Plus. I was looking forward to that, but oh well. But I wasn't disappointed at the beginning of the episode, but it looked like Logan Roy returned to the world of the living or Living Plus. <laughs> And we're watching, and they're watching that clip of him, um, you know, f- when he was filming a what would have been part of his own presentation, I suppose. And of course, it, it does when he when he lo- loses his temper, and at one point he blows up at all the people there, and he refers to them as "You're as bad as my fucking idiot kids." Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> "Ow!" <laughs> Which means he's saying that in public to perfect strangers. Not a good look. And I think I think the response when Kendall sees that for the first time is good to see you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and then you know he's gonna then they're gonna be playing this over and over and then then we'll see what happens even later in the episode. And I remember thinking, is he literally being haunted by his dad here, or is Ken really just clutching to keep even this little toxic scrap of of his father here? And certainly when we see what he does in the presentation later, you know. Is it a reminder of what he's been fighting against for the past few years or even his entire life? It, it, it's There's so much going on here. I mean, it, it's... And, and what he ends up doing, which is like... It, 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 I mean, he, he, he turns it around, but it's, it, it's, such a, it, it's such a fascinating thing that they came up with here, I think. Well, seeing uh, Logan again to start the episode was jarring. Oh yeah, very. I was like, "What the hell's happening here?" Like, it was a great, great opening. Um, but you wonder: is he using it as fuel, or is it something that he's trying to find an answer in? Mm-hmm. And you know, just like the line, is it under or is it through? Um, and obviously, Kendall obsessively looked at that to see you know, if he could glean the true meaning of it or if he could convince himself that it was a line and not a cross through. Cause I think we probably think it's a cross through Oh yeah, uh, from talking on the previous podcast. I, I mean, I, it, it's so curious the way 
all these kids study everything he does to try to glean meaning from it because they have no sense of what he ever really meant uh, or, or they want to fool themselves in the, he, into him meaning something different. I think there's one other thing, though. Um, since we all know what happened, so it doesn't matter if I mention this now instead of later. Um, this is going to be Kendall's first, or I, I'm assuming first, but his, his one opportunity to do something that his father has done with him. He's going to use his father. He's going to use his father to, to, to accomplish what he wants to do as a, you know, he's, he, in fact, he's using his dead father. He's, he's basically as, as a puppet, essentially, because putting words into his mouth and, you know, and what, what they end up doing, that's, that's puppetry. He, so it, there's something really kind of, you know, I don't know if it's morally bankrupt or some bizarre form of catharsis or even some sort of, you know, unspoken revenge and no one's even picking up on in the episode. It was like, wow, that's really just think of how his father treated him in season two, you know, with the whole after, you know, the, the whole death of the, uh, waiter dude and whatever. This is, it feels like this is him finally getting back at his dad or using him that way, even though he's still, I believe Kendall to be sincere with how he's emotionally impacted by his father at the end of this episode and what he says. Um, because while I think Jeremy Strong is that good an actor, I don't think Kendall is that good an actor to um, not be sincere with what he says there at the end. Of the yeah, episode. I agree. I agree. So we, we, we flip from this. We, we get a little taste of, uh, our first of the many Shiv and Lucas interactions. This is um, the the the, mo- the silliest one of them all, where apparently they're, they're both on you know plane, planes that are right across each other on the same tarmac. Um, you know, a little stop over there, and he he literally gets off his plane and walks to her, and walks on her plane barefoot because that's you know that's what multi billionaires can do. I guess I love it. It's a really fun dynamic between the two of them because. There's a, there's a, there's a certain, there's, there's a certain flirtatious nature to it. Um, although I don't, I think that blood brick story alone <laughs> would keep Shiv away from him, but there's a lot of a little diabolical calculating going on and what, what, what they're really trying to say, what they're really, what their agendas are really pushing here. Um, but I, I, I and I love because she's very clearly entertained by it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so is he. And so is he. So I, it's a it's a fun little dynamic I hadn't expected. I'm, I'm really kind of enjoying it. Yeah, and, and the idea of her being his person on the inside to deal with all this, and you know, as as long as he can maintain that, he can keep the relationship going with her and and see where it happens. Um, you know, the the curious idea is if this continues to grow the hatred and the jealousy and the anger between a lot of characters would, would become very, very interesting to see what happens. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So we're in Los Angeles now and we have Ken and Roman meeting with senior. Oh, this scene. Oh man. So we have Ken and Roman meeting with the, the senior leadership, you know, which, and which also includes Tom and Shiv eventually. 
And you can kind of see, like like I was talking about on the mountaintop, geez, these two, they're not the best liars. I mean, Tom himself is poking holes in what they're talking about just by noting that things just sound like just simple negotiating tactics. Jerry, she minimizes the possible risks that um, Kendall is speaking of. But it's Shiv who clearly sees through everything. And I think I know why she sees through everything. Because she's been talking to him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but <laughs> I just... Well, I mean, what, what could be more hypocritical than Kendall saying... I don't know, man. This guy's kind of erratic. (laughs) That's that's so funny. Like it's ridiculous. That that that'll be like that'll be like a former president referring to other people as being racist. Anyway, (laughs) um, I can't imagine. Why would I say such a thing? Oh my gosh, I'm never going to work for ATN. So yeah, you you get the lying, and then when they when they clear the room, it's just the three of them. I oh, so I love her taking the two the two of them on. And she brings up, you know, childhood stories that to show like you were bad liars then, you're bad liars now. And it, it's interesting that it's it's Kendall who breaks first, and Roman gets kind of gets annoyed by because he figures, oh, now I'm the one being thrown under the bus. Simply because Kendall's the one who owns up to the lie first, whatever. <laughs> and the moment when Roman says, "So can can we do the hug thing, maybe?" <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, yeah. all right, so we're going to the hugging well again, except this time when you see Shiv's face, like, yeah, that's not the same kind of hug as before. No. Shiv is not buying into this one this time. You know, you see the real reaction after. Um, and it's interesting. So Shiv has to leave because she's got an appointment to keep. But then we see it's she's her appointment is by herself in an empty conference room until, you know, Tom walks. And he actually walks in with Greg who quickly, you know, scampers away and she when she makes a run to why she's there I, lo- I love tom's line like you're scheduling your grief and I, I kept thinking wow so we've got pre-grieving we've got scheduled grieving they're so fucked up um oh yeah major but the the tom shiv stuff is very interesting throughout this episode there's a lot of real fun moments I'll, i gotta say this um Considering their situation, I think there's more fun moments between Tom and Shiv in this episode than there were in the first three seasons of this series. I think I, I see I see more chemistry and clicking between them, and more fun between them. And even though there's even though there's anger, even though there's 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 a la- there's still a lack of forgiveness there. Um, but that also means I'm seeing more true emotion there. I, I, the, the biggest thing I see between them that I think has been refreshing, um, you know, they've stated their intention to divorce. Both people have, have staked out their positions. Um, in the past, there's always been a putting on of airs mm-hmm. even between them. And a lot of that pretense has dropped yes. that, 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 uh, that it's as sincere as these people can be, which is not 100% sincere because these people can never be 100% right. sincere. But it's like 68% sincere right. now instead of like hardly sincere at all. Right, absolutely. But she's not she's not distracted with her other situations. And this is the most real Tom has been, you know, period, quite frankly. Other, right. than, other than their wedding night, of course. 
Um, but we'll get into more of that later. There's more the, all, all the little fun things that happen later on. You do have Ken and Roman discussing the investor pitch, but Roman's got to leave because he's got to go meet with Joy, the current head of Waystar Studios. And and if they if they use the phrase "pump pump pumping it up" one more fucking time, I would have just lost and say, "Okay, stop." It's making me really uncomfortable. It's making <laughs> unless unless you're Elvis Costello, I don't want to hear that phrase. <laughs> that's like that's Greg level. Uh, sloganeering there. Yes, it it really, really is. So, yeah, Roman does go to meet with the head of uh, Waystar Studios. Um, I forget the name of the... Was it it Anna Bethkish? Is that who that is? Yes, I think that's right. Holy crap. She, you know what? She's like in every other thing I've ever watched in my life, apparently. So, you know. Oh, oh, she's in this. Oh, good. She's in everything. Um, So, this is a conversation that takes a takes a, a really sudden turn. Um, and I find Roman worrisome from the get-go. And again, this is just continuing the trend that we saw in the previous ep- previous episodes, but especially the previous episode with the blow-up on the mountain, whatever. And he... It... it Roman Roman's on edge all the time now and it doesn't and it seems like you know you flip a switch and he's just going to do something drastic which he does a number of times in this episode because they're having a conversation and he, he just keeps trying to press press the fact that well I'm just here to dump a ton of money on you he's upset that she's not just being thankful I'm like oh okay that that and how dare she actually say well we've actually got some issues with you know, the direction ATN is going because, as we know, ATN is being presented as, you know, it's it's kind of like the second coming of Fox News, but perhaps even worse, I suppose, since um, the creative community there, which, you know, i.e., the liberal community there is kind of disturbed by what's going on because this is, see, this really goes to the whole Rupert Murdoch thing and how he separated the whole Fox studios and, and Fox news thing. And those were definitely chopped and, and separated because I think there were issues with people in the creative community and dealing with, and being part being linked with Fox news, if I'm not mistaken. And that's what's happening here, I think. But, um, Roman just, doesn't want to focus or hear any of that. And instead he just takes a turn because he's just annoyed that she's not just being thankful for the money or maybe not respecting him as being this massive billionaire benefactor. And he just decides to fire her. He makes a joke and he's like, Oh no, no. He's like, Oh, now that I said, no, no, you know, maybe, you know what? That's actually a good idea. Uh, But yeah, 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 you're fired. And again, it's, I'm sorry. It's, I'm not sorry because I think you agree. He's he's spiraling, dude, and and it's like, geez. Yeah, well, he he's taking. I mean, if you think about the the parts of his, their father's personality uh, that that he accessed and used at various times, each of them are accessing parts of that, but using it in a way that's completely not rational. And not calculated like like I, I thought you know, the way Roman acted this this episode reminded me of the fear everyone would be in at ATN when Logan would go walk the floor like, you know, don't piss him off or you could lose your job. Don't do what you could or, you know, he he was able to wield that fear, but he knew when to direct it and who to direct it at. 
Um, you, you know, the, the, the woman who runs ATN, I forget her name, but Sid, Sid, yes, Sid, like she was always in fear of, of Logan firing her. So that's why he could call her on the floor. Like, like Logan knew how to use that power. Now that Kendall has it, he doesn't, I mean, now that Roman has it, he doesn't know how to use it. He uses it completely irresponsibly. Um, and, and has precipitated a major event. I'll say one more thing about it because, because I'm brilliant. What are the, what's the last thing his father told him to do before he died? Uh, like take everybody out. He wanted, he wanted, yeah. He wanted, last thing he tells him to do is he, he tells him to fire Jerry. Yeah. And he didn't want, and he spits it and of all people to ask him to fire the one he's had like the closest relationship with the the person he would be least if he was told he had to fire frank or carl or hugo or any of those people he would have no problem with it jerry was the one person he would have a problem with so he his father deliberately picked him to to fire the person that would hurt him the most to have to fire but the last thing his father told him to do was to fire someone and yeah. shoot, whatever. Well, and even more so, his father basically was giving him a kill list. Like, because you remember he said it's going to be the night of the long knives. Like, right, like, right, right, right. Like, exactly. So I, I feel what he's doing here is it, it's almost like his mind, because of what's happened, so that that little disconnect has happened, you know, and that's like, okay, so the last things I talked to my father about, the last things that we were preparing for, the last thing I was instructed to do is fire people is fire right. this person fire that whatever so that is what he and that is what he's doing when he when he goes off on lucas even though that's not he's not firing him that's not the, that's not the situation but it's essentially that it's essentially you know by trying to tank the deal you're trying you know you're trying to take that away you know it, it's 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 just it's interesting how what we see happen with Kendall is hardly a surprise because we've kind of seen this before. It's just taking on a different, you know, a, a different situation because of what happened, his father having passed. This is new with Roman, you know, to this degree. And before we'd seen him um, finally, like, try to step up and finally try to do something. And then, you know, it literally, you know, blows up on the launch pad, you know, like, yeah. a, like a SpaceX rocket. Maybe Lucas will be yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think Roman Roman has been more serious and has worked at being more serious. And looking at his dad and knowing his dad's final wishes, you know, he's playing a variation of that because that's his lasting memory of his dad. And 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 then starts spinning like a top, but to his credit, you know, which we're going to talk about in a minute, he even recognizes maybe he's starting to spin out of control. Right. Um, which is something, which is something that in this episode, I don't think Kendall realizes he's spinning out of control. Right. But that, there's an interesting thing about that, but we'll, we'll get there. So we, we are with Ken. Ken, now he's, we're at the point where he's working on the stage production and he's being, you know, somewhat demanding. <laughs> you know, somewhat, somewhat. You know, well, you know, clouds. He saw them in Berlin. Come on. <laughs> By the way, because when I think when I think clouds, I do think Berlin. Just so you know, um, you know, you know, you know crystal knocks. Anyway, so invest. <laughs> invest. 
It's not the investor reception. I'm just gonna keep keep going, keep going, Scott. Um, oh, that's when we get one of the really great Shiv and Tom moments. I love I love the interplay between them. I I I, I love I, I I love the 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 moderate sincerity of Tom and the pushback of Shiv. You know everything from sorry for fucking you up, and she's like, "Well, I was fucked up long before you. Don't yeah. don't, don't you be taking credit for that." And then they play a game. They play a game of bitey. Yeah. It's an amazing moment between them. Oh, it was. Uh, I, I'm sure the actors had fun with this scene. I mean, part of me wonders. I, I wonder if uh, either of them actually bit hard on the other one or not. Whatever. I mean, in fact, she actually says it's both funny and kind of ooh. This it's just a little cutting at the same time when she says, "Tom Womcoms finally made me feel something." Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. wow. Yeah, there's there's like grudging admiration, like he surprised her, right? But what, what what's what's amazing about that is, um, I mean, I'll, I'm not going to skip ahead too much, really, but I think that that this whole scene culminating with the bitey stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong. I I think it leads to a little uh, off screen interaction between these two, something that she had kind of refused before. So interesting. Yeah, it, I mean, you know. Not to hit it over the head, but I mean the metaphor. Tom finally bears his teeth, and, <laughs> and and she likes that. Like that turns her on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now then, let's go back to Roman and Ken, and and look, Greg is there, so it's not the Quad Squad. So it's <laughs> but it's like it's like they're using Greg like a te- like he's a test audience here. Um, Greg, Greg takes this. Greg takes the scene first by being, he veers from being kind of being both funny, but making a very smart point. You know, the whole, I think he says something along the lines of it's hard to make houses seem like tech because we've had houses for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line. But then the whole pitch bot, (laughs) ridiculous. And I was like, no, no, like a robot. Yeah. I was like, oh, I was I was waiting to be cringing in this episode. Thank, thank, thank you, Greg. <laughs> You're usually good for a moment like that. And once he uh, robots his way off screen, there is this little conversation, a very revealing conversation, um, that goes on between Roman and Kendall because they have a little little discussion about death, and it's opening up a little bit about their father. It's Roman opening up about their father. I love the phrase, how the whole thing about death, it's very undad. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that undad kind of sounds like undead. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, that's such a, I, I just felt like that, that was such an important little thing because, yeah, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about right now. At least, yeah, I think we all agree on that. Well, yeah, and you know, if you think back to earlier in the season, Logan was pondering the meaning of life. That's and right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Echoes and parallels. That's what they do here on on shows like this. You know, they you know, one day it might be considered a top tier show. <laughs> Never said it wasn't. It's like it's almost, it's almost Ozark level. I'm just, <laughs> just last season sucked. 
Yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> point, pointless car wrecks. It means nothing. But, uh, I'll tell you something. I have a script. That was uh, never mind. Anyway, so let me get back. <laughs> I'll save that story for after we finish recording. It just occurred to me. Um, I'm rewriting something, and the original opening scene, I, I was looking, I was like, you know, it kind of reminds me of, a, of an Ozark situation, and that kind of makes me angry. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to cut this. <laughs> <laughs> Only because it, it's like the, the, the original script opened with the first page of this action-y moment, and we build to that eventually happens later on. But it's really not part of the overall major story. It's just kind of a obstacle stumbling block along the way. So it's nothing that's not really that important. And I was just thinking about, eh, that kind of feels like a cheat to have that be the opening kind of thing. Because eh, it really doesn't, it's not really like important, important. I'm going to get rid of it. I want to replace it with a flat. Fuck flash forward. I want to replace it with a flashback. That's right. South Scott. Anyway, <laughs> so back to the thing that people actually want me to talk about. So during their conversation, and I would have, I would have loved that conversation to go on, gone on for a few more minutes, but but unfortunately, a very noticeably angry Jerry interrupts them, pretty much demanding to talk to Roman. So we have the scene between Jerry and Roman, and it's maybe even more so than the dick pic. It's hard to remember seeing Jerry this clearly, not just angry with Roman. But also treating him. I mean, when she treated him like a ch- kid before, but there was that that weird kind of. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> I don't know. Their relation. We we all know they had a very strange relationship, and you know th- there was a power dynamic. There was a milfy, gilfy, whatever you want to call it, dynamic going on. I don't know. Whatever. That ain't there anymore. <laughs> and so we get this back and forth between them. And it's like, uh-oh, because we're already seeing it. It's like, oh, this is a deja vu moment from the scene that he had with Joy at the studio. And it's like, it's not going to take that many ticks on the scale for Roman to decide to fire you too. But at least here, and what he says to her, well, first of all, it makes perfect sense. I'm not saying it makes sense to fire her. That's not what I mean. But why he's getting upset. Because there is some truth in what he's saying. Because he's right. She, and maybe, maybe she, he's never given her reason to respect him by the way he's always spoken and acted around her and in general. And he thinks simply because now he's been handed, I'll use the phrase again, he and his brother have been handed the keys to the kingdom. Therefore, he automatically should get that respect. And I think with her mind, like, no, you earn that respect. You don't, you don't just get it because your last name's Roy. Um, but it's a really powerful little, little scene between them. Yeah. And, and she cuts him and he cuts her and they both say, they both say enough truth that it's not just words and it really stings both of them. And I think, she leaves him with enough and and he does care about her enough that, that it causes him to instantly reflect. But, but I thought it was really good writing to say to her as a, if you think about the situation there in California, this is a powerful woman with powerful allies that they aren't going to care about suing 
a right wing, you know, right. company to protect her. Um, but when he comes back at her and says, you know, maybe it's because you suck at your job and you, you know, you're supposed to go fix stuff like this because she did for Logan all the time. He, what he calls her on is like uh, you, the, her hypocrisy. She calls him on his incompetence and right. they're both right. Right. It's also interesting just because a lot of things that they do on this series is, you have moments that parallel other moments, either being the same episode or the same season or previous seasons or whatever. And you can't help but think that you, it was only a few episodes ago when he had it. His, his, his last mission was to go fire her. Right. Think about that conversation and how he clearly did not want to do it. was trying not to even say the words, whatever. And she was catching on to what was going on. And you could see he was shrinking from the whole idea of it and whatever. And that's not what he is now. No, that's not. It, it's 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 a one eighty degree kind of a situation. You know, it's it's more in some ways more like his dad. If you want, right. to put it, if you want to look at it that way, um, because we we've seen Logan over the la over the course of the show blow up a number of times. We're reminded that in the opening of this episode, we're reminded how he can fucking lose his shit. You know, he loses his shit, and as they're putting makeup on him for fucking ninety seconds. I'm pretty sure he's filmed a million things over time being who he is and they've had to apply makeup to him. And the fact that, that he would blow up like that. I, I think it's almost it's almost like a um a foreshadowing of what of what we're gonna see happen with with, with Roman throughout the episode. Well, the, and that leads me to a question I have okay. that that I wanted to ask. As I've sort of posited throughout the podcast, we're seeing them all take on these aspects of their dad and how he dealt with them. Yep. Like they've hinted very strongly that Roman was physically abused by their dad. Mm -hmm. Do we think he's going to like hit somebody, strike someone, and he's going to physically manifest like rage or violence? Hmm. That, that would follow. It's just considering his rather, Diminutive, you know, stature, whatever. I'm not sure who who he hit where it would make much of a difference. He's pretty, he's pretty, pretty much like being pretty much being like being hit by Ducky or something. Yeah, I just watched that movie. I mean, so, if I had to predict, I would say he would at some point hit Kendall. Yeah, it's you know, I don't know. I got I got to think about that. I, I mean, I could definitely see that something along those lines happening. It would and it would you know kind of go back to that. But um, the Kendall stuff is interesting, though. He does go back to Ken here, and he, mm -hmm. he basically he sort of kind of to whatever extent pretty much confesses to firing everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny that. that <laughs> it shows how far gone Ken that was at this point. He's because he's. I always get. It always feels like Kendall's only half paying attention, <laughs> and it's just like he's he's taking it in. But I think half his brain is still focused on something on himself and on, and shit he has to work on and deal with whatever. So he kind of sort of approves. I love. I love. I love how the lines he runs through as he's joking about it. You know everything from the f the fact I didn't know that Jerry is Shiv's godmother. <laughs> Which is kind of funny as well. It's like, oh, you, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna fire Frank and you're gonna, you're gonna eat Greg and fire me. 
<laughs> right. Well, and Frank was the executor of his estate. Jerry's Shiv's godmother. I mean, family and business is intertwined to Logan. Right. And as you were just saying, I mean, it's only moments later and already um, Roman's having a regret over what he just did. Maybe, maybe he went a bit too big here. And I love that Ken's kind of like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You find it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's interesting that that Ken calls them then the dynamic duo, and they, like in his mind, they've left Shiv behind. Oh well, that that they they've been repeating that over and over. I mean, there's that scene in the previous. I think it's the previous episode when they're still up on on the mountain, and Roman's the one I think brings up the idea of should we talk to Shiv or would Shiv go along with this. And that, that, I think Kenneth goes, <laughs> Pinky? <laughs> Should we tell yeah. <laughs> So, oh, I left something out from earlier in the episode. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's such a little thing, but it's so, it was so good. When they're, when um, Roman and then and Kendall enter that boardroom where the senior leadership folks were, right? And people are walking, some people are standing, some people are sitting, whatever. And then he takes a seat. And then we realize that that was where Shiv was sitting. And the way she walks over, and she's clearly annoyed. And she, I think she, I think her cell phone was still there or something. And she goes and picks up her phone. And, and, and he seems like, oh, sorry, she, I, you know, sorry. And he kind of half acidly apologized to her. And she, yeah. like, sits down. Because that's more where she was sitting. There's more of kind of a power seat, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, that's where he's going to sit. I, I just thought that was like, oh, that's kind of telling you something right there. It's very clear right there. Before we don't even have, we don't even have to have the scene now. We, we, we know what's going on between these, these, the, the Roy's, you know. Right. I just forgot that I forgot to mention that before. Um, let's, uh, flip through a few things here. We do cut back to Shiv and Tom. And like I was hinting at before, I was like, okay, from the way Tom's tucking in his shirt and stuff, I think they just had sex. <laughs> pretty sure so way to go tom way to go shiv (laughs) shiv's looking good in this episode too by the way um but it doesn't take long before things get a little (sighs) between them um and she she drops lines like you know the thing about truth bombs from the phony man oh yeah the phony man thing is bad she repeated that like multiple times okay phony man yeah phony man because I want to. This be the first time I'm saying it on the podcast. I haven't said it. I was like the last one where I said it like 12 times. It was like you with the, the thing that you always used to say, which I haven't heard you say yet. Oh, thank God. She still hasn't forgiven him. The betrayal is not. Nothing's nothing. Nothing's erased that as of yet. Doesn't matter that Logan has passed away. Doesn't matter that everything, whatever. Because if he doesn't betray her, she still, I think she would believe she still would be in a better position. Hey, you know what? Maybe Logan might still be alive too, right? Uh, yeah. So later, we do see Greg is acting. Oh God, this scene! Greg is acting as Kendall's little lap dog, <laughs> which may or may not be an improvement over time. I don't know. And he's doing it with this person who I I'm surmising to be, I guess, the sound editor for the presentation and such. And there's, they're discussing what can or can't be done with that Logan clip that we saw at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> And and I love Greg does this little run here about how he wants to get into the good books. Yeah. I've I've never heard that phrase before. 
It's like, I've heard of want to get on the good side. <laughs> I've never heard of want to get on the good books. And, and then he finally says, you know, you know, so make it, you know, basically he says something like, I'm like, make it out, Mr. Snippy Snips. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he sort of takes a, he sort of takes a page from Kendall earlier in the episode where Kendall basically says like, build me the fucking house in the clouds. And he basically says like, like, look, man, you're not giving me no for an answer. Like it can be done. You're going to make it happen, which is a more assertive Greg. Oh, than yeah. Typically we see. That is very true. True, 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 true. So we do see Ken later, and he's with a few uh, folks there, I guess old guard folks, whatever. But he's with this guy. I don't know if we've met him before. Doesn't, you know, if we have, haven't, doesn't matter. I call him Pete the Numbers Guy. So he's probably the person who's like really more on the financial end of things, you know, whether it be accounting, projections, whatever. Um, the guy who's clearly, other than looking like a, a you know a younger Jeff Van Gundy, he's just <laughs> he's clearly uncomfortable with the situation. And this is the scene where I thought, ooh, we already had a number of bad omens in this episode. They were in abundance, quite frankly. But this one is, I think, a worse one because this is when you start to worry about issues of lies and fraud, whatever. You know, what whenever you're doing anything which sounds like you're you're. As, as we say with the wire, if you're going to start juking the numbers, that's that's going to be that could be a problem. That's gonna, that can come back to bite you, or or, or go bitey on you, whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you you have to think of. Uh, we have seen shows with specious housing developments uh, that you know may have inflated their worth or value, and. Uh, but in this scene, I think we see we see sort of the genesis of what carries through the rest of the episode, and that is whether he's bipolar or not, like Kendall starts getting wrapped up in the mania of his idea uh-huh. and runs with it. But surprisingly, we see that like he creates enough of a current that people start going along with it that that he gets so inside his head and his idea that he starts to believe it and he starts really convincing other people right 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 so we we get a recurrence throughout the episode again of shiv getting calls or messages conversations with lucas who's really really not on board with this idea which is not a shock because everything about it does sound there's a certain kind of uh, there's a queasiness about this whole concept that they're talking about it feels like something you'd be you know i would bet i'd see commercials for for this kind of thing while i was watching the game show network or something or something else or, or me tv something where the view the, the the average viewing audience that not including me is like 75 and above probably or fox news <laughs> anyway Hi, this, this hi. This is uh, James Garner here to talk to you about Living Plus. Oh, that would be kind of weird if it's James Garner. You know. What's well, computer generated? You could uh, do it. See, I would have been. I would have wanted Tom Selleck, but okay. No. Well, yeah, he's still alive. <laughs> he's he's doing those reverse mortgage things the whole time, which are kind of right. Which are fucked up. Um, but then we have Ken checking out the work the production crew has done again, and you can see it's in his eyes it's total crap, and especially those really sad little spouts of steam they're trying to pass off for clouds, and uh, it's just 
Good lord! I've I don't, I, is 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 Kendall like the most chronically depressed looking character on television ever? <laughs> I mean, it's to the point when when he does smile, it's like ugh, it's it's so it's creepier than just being, it's, it's like you know, just just be just be just be depressed, dude. He's literally live action droopy. Yes, there you go. Except without the laughs. And meanwhile, you know, Roman, once again, he's sitting in the audience in the auditorium seats and, you know, he's just trying to figure out, you know, what about the words? What about those, uh, those, uh, those big numbers that are in here? Cause he's, he's obviously seen, you know, the words for the presentation is, and, and Roman's clearly smart enough to know this is, where are we getting these estimate, estimates from and prediction, whatever? And, and Shiv stops and, and she's worried. And she actually points out she's seeing that that quote unquote that gleam in his eye that this is going to be really very fucking messy. This is not good. She also seems to see that they are both out of control. She she's noting that. But right now Kendall's the the, the main problem, and she even you know she's very honest when she basically says that you know he is he's he's when we saw it happen throughout season three. <laughs> He's got harebrained schemes and he cracks under pressure. I love him, but we need to put a stop to this. So, which is probably finally Roman getting some rational advice from somebody. And I think Roman tries to act upon it, but Ken's kind of a scary, depressive force of nature. And it's really hard to puncture that. I mean, Roman meets with him backstage I mean, just the thing with the matching flight jackets. I'm just going, oh my god, so tacky. It and it's one of those things where he he there. there Kendall has sometimes has that has that lack of self awareness. It was like do, you don't you don't you don't see the douchiness of some of the things you do, man. You, you're just not seeing it. But all Roman has to say is when he and he's and he, again he's fumfering around as he as we've been seeing him do a lot. Maybe we shouldn't do it. And Ken goes into depressed mode. And I, when, you, when, I, when I personally, when I'm watching these scenes like this play out, I start getting that kind of like that clutching feeling in my stomach for for them. It's just it. it, it I mean, I mean, it does. It, it has the desired effect. I'm just like, oh my god, I feel so bad for these people. And it's great because. We're supposed to think all these people are horrible, but I still can feel really bad for him. And Kendall, someone I really feel bad for all the time. Yeah, it, it's what what I like a lot about this scene, though, is you see for the first time Shiv's able to negotiate. Shiv's able to get Roman away from the brink and pull him to her, right? Because she said like. She kind of says, this is going over the edge. Are you in on this? And we get that delightful scene where Roman, you know, basically bails on him by, by uh, bails on Kendall by pumping him up. Like, oh man, like I would be terrible at this, but you know, you're going to nail it. This is your thing. Um, but that, I think Kendall senses Roman's not, not all the way in on it. And that the one thing we know about Kendall, if he has a big idea, he really wants people to be on board or he gets depressed. Right, right, right. So when it, it's clear that it's too late to stop things now, and he leaves Kensington Carter, and that's when he's approached by 
Carl, or as I referred to him earlier, the increasingly ballsier Carl, because um, Carl's the CFO, and you know any, anything that's going to involve money number projections. If he's not aware of it and where, and where that comes from, well, then he's on the spot, and it puts him in a bad position. And again, this isn't Logan anymore. It's Kendall he's dealing with. So he feels more free to say whatever he wants to say. There's that line about, you know, you, know, you got my dick in your hands, but I got your dick in my hands. <laughs> you know, because he's, he's, he's able to exert a level of power he never seemed to have when Logan was there. Um, right. So, and we, we're, and we've been seeing this happen time and time again, but we should also remember a couple episodes ago when it was Frank, Carl, and, and, and then Jerry, and they'd found that uh, additional document relating to his will. Carl was the one who referred to Ken as the little princess. So we already know what he actually really does think of Kendall to begin with. So anyway, the, the whole episode, and especially these, the, the, these last several minutes, you get this a, a nice little bit of tension Everything's leading up to this. The clear anticipation of a total train wreck. The can't-look-away disaster, which is... And then when Kendall walks out to a fucking public enemy song, I'm always like, oh, God, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) You're not not in the car coming to the studio. There there is nothing, I bet, that Fox stockholders meetings would love more than someone coming out to public enemy and Chuck D. It, it it does remind me of uh, any number of political figures who have used music, be it uh, classic rock or even or even surprisingly hip hop stuff, which really makes less sense considering who some of these people are. And the artists immediately say no. And I think, oh yeah, Springsteen, Born in the USA, Reagan. Well, that goes all the way back to. But I'm talking about just in the last just the last year. I mean, stuff with Marjorie Taylor Greene and you know Tom Petty's estate. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Dr. Dre sent a letter to one of them to not make use of something, and it was uh, one of, one of the the conservative figures. So really connected the the public enemy thing is kind of spot on here. Yeah. Um. So he comes out. Um, he talks about shoes for a while. Big, big shoes. Big, 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 <laughs> big, 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 big. Now, the way that everyone reacts when they see he's using Logan Roy as part of his presentation, that through whatever you want to say, it's editing magic and so on, the kind of thing that nowadays um, there's a new AI technology which actually makes people, you can make people say whatever you want them to say, which is amazing. Um... And I don't know if that's what they're doing here or hinting at it, whatever. But th- it's done in such a way where it looks like they're actually in sync with each other as he's talking about Living Plus. But e- everybody's got something to say about it. And you start wondering, well, who's going to have the best line about here? Is it Tom? Is it Greg? Is it the point where Roman says to Shiv that she's getting wet watching this? Which is just horrible just such a horrible 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 thing to say to your sister <laughs> for so many reasons it's like oh there's the roman we know <laughs> <laughs> there's the sexually deviant inappropriate roman that we know but as you as you mentioned before at that a certain point the presentation kind of goes well despite 
for a while there, everybody's snarky reactions to it. Everyone commenting on it backstage, or either be, you know, Tom getting his digs in much, much very similar to the, the digs that Tom put in during the little uh, speech, eulogizing speech about uh, Logan Roy a couple weeks ago, and all the little comments they were making then as well with the Tom and Greg show. <laughs> so one, once again, we have it here. And then there's that moment when they include the clip that they didn't have to doctor of Logan saying it'll double the earnings of the Parks Division. Yeah, that's not really well received by anybody, except my favorite bit, Greg saying, hey, that's for, that's really well edited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... um. But the, I think the whole thing culminates in that little emotional kicker moment um, when Ken talks about, you know, having the possibility if something, with something like this that he could have had an extra year with his dad, that that would be priceless. I was like, oh, you just sold it there. And here, and it's one of those things where you, get, you wonder, is he feeling it there? Is it true? Or... It, or is he? Or is he so soulless that he's saying this just to kind of to, to make to, to sell the pitch here? I want to believe it's the former, but I, I'm not positive about that. But but he's so fucked up. I can, it could go either. It could be either one. It could be either one. I want to give him credit. I want to say he's feeling it for real. Uh, that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He's so damaged. I I I think he is feeling it, but I don't know. I, I think he's feeling it because he's wrapped up in the moment. Yeah. Like, like, I think as he goes on and on, he gets caught up in the emotion of it and feels it. Yeah, I think you're right. So they find out towards the end of the presentation that apparently uh, Matson has tweeted a joke. This is after one of his many little conversations with, with Shiv about finding a way to, to end it. Which, of course, what was she going to do? Drop a bag of sand on him or something. Oh, I, I needed that joke for, my, for the next thing. Ah, well, I'll use it then. Anyway, uh, he tweets a Holocaust joke, which, by the way, my, I'm always in favor of Holocaust jokes, just so I forget about Living Plus. And everyone starts freaking out because immediately following the presentation, they're going to go right into a Q&A. And Ken doesn't know about this tweet. And you know they're going to ask about it probably immediately. I think uh, it might be Carolino make, has a line about he's about to base jump into a buzzsaw. Yeah. I love that. Oh, it's got, got a little bit of alliteration, whatever. And I love Greg saying to Tom, hey, the, so this is kind of good for you because, you know, your presentation, not great. Right. But so now uh, no one's going to be watching <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to be watching. No one's going to care what you say. Like, yeah. And I love it because it's like, like, I love Greg, you know, being kind of, being kind of bitchy to Tom. I really take yep. that. It's so good. And yes, the first question in Q&A is about that. And he handles it pretty well. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's that moment where, you know, the fact that he actually looks it up on his own phone to see it for himself which is smart because it gives him a, a moment to think and B to make sure this is actually happening. Right. And he, he kind of unbelievably even at this point in, in a huge public forum kind of makes Lucas look a little silly, kind of makes him look bad. You know, like, Oh, he's uh, I, lo- I love it. Like, well, he, and 
he the fact that Kendall shows that at least in this instance he's able to think on his feet. And there's so many ways he could have said something that goes the wrong way. And I love him saying he's um European. <laughs> he's very, <laughs> very European, European, very European. And and I mean, you know, it, it, for a network and a group of people that hate everything not American. Yes. Like you couldn't be any more effete, weak, whatever. I mean, it's it's a it's a wink back at Madsen that that you know he's a wimp and and it, it's a it's a good comeback. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, part of NATO. And I love the I love I love that there's a brief moment, a brief embarrassing moment as he gets on the stage and Tom takes the stage and you realize that thing he's been practicing about you're an ATN citizen you're an ATN. I was like oh my god yeah Oprah <laughs> oh who okayed this it's so it's so bad it's, it's terrible so very bad so Kendall's backstage and it's celebratory in fact so celebratory Lucas actually deleted the tweet which is. That is kind of a victory <laughs> by doing that. That's kind of, you know, that's raising the white flag, at least in that little moment. But there is so much phoniness going on all around him back here. Except Roman, who has, you know, says a few words and then just leaves. And then we cut to Roman eventually in the car being driven off. And he's playing this edited clip of his father. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the editing magic, but the AI, I think this is where the AI thing might, might have come into play because of what he's saying. Because he's basically his father is insulting him and his micro dick, and he's playing it over and over and over again. And it's like, it's, it's, I, it's, I'm so used to seeing painful scenes with emotion with Kendall. It's jarring more now that it's Roman. And how this is really taking a toll on him and how that pre-grieving obviously didn't work because he's, he's holding on to this as something that he's playing over and over. That's, it's, it, that's, it's pretty harsh. Oh yeah. I think he ends the episode in the worst place of any of the trio. Yeah, absolutely. Because you go from that, you have Tom and Shiv there together in the car and it sounds like they're, going to host some sort of party that involves strategy and there's still there's actually a little bit of even flirting going on there and she you can see her smirking at it you know it's like okay it's like i think she's more into tom now than again than we've ever seen them before and yet and i think we all know the reasons why i get it 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 makes perfect sense in their situation um but i kind of it's it's the first time i said you know what maybe they want maybe they wouldn't be that bad together after all if they could always be like this but I don't think they can be always be like this. So it's no. in, it's interesting, and we and we end the episode with Kendall um, on the shoreline, and he actually walks into the water, and he's just floating on the waves, which has a very kind of uh, well, you can make whatever metaphor of that you want, but um, that's the way the episode ends. And yeah, it's a look. I, I think. I mean, obviously, we've had a couple really wow episodes this season, but there hasn't been a bad one, and every everyone has had something in it that you know kind of made me you know, go, "Whoa, this show!" No, I, I was fascinated by these two episodes. One was basically set entirely in a foreign country. 
this one is we pay our first visit to West Coast Waystar Royco. You know, like uh, we go to two new locations and have a great story. And I have I, in this episode, my favorite thing is there are three or four pivot moments uh-huh. where they do the unexpected. Yep. Um, that and I mean the big ones I think of like you like you you don't expect Kendall to kill it. Right. You know, I, I don't, it, it's not unseen to think that he might get through it and not fall flat on his face. But you don't think he's going to kill it and he kills it. You don't think I mean, I didn't I didn't think the the bid to buy would would go through at one ninety two and everybody would love it in the last episode. Like and when uh, Roman approaches Ken about firing everybody you don't expect Kendall to be like, cool. Like, like there are these little pivots throughout the episode where the characters have changed enough that the pivots make sense. Uh-huh. And, and some, some are monumental, but, but they show growth and, but are still surprising to us as the viewer. And, and it's, it's, it makes me look forward to what else we're going to see that that's a pivot. I, it, you know, and, and like you said, I don't think we expect Tom and Shiv to be where they are at the end of this episode. Um, the, the, they've very quickly repositioned all the pieces in the board on the board again for like a final, uh, a final move. Right. Yeah. The next, I'm looking forward to the next episode. I think one of the people I, if I was watching the ad for, if I remember correctly, I think, um, I think Shiv's ex shows up in that episode. So that should be interesting because of what, what happened last time we saw him. I guess was at the uh, the wedding, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, great episode, great two, great great two episodes, and yeah, we're in the, we're in the. I guess we have the final four left, in, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think the next episode of the one after will be the funeral. Yeah, they got they got to get to it. Um, all right, so let's see if we can squeeze this last thing in here. Sure, because. We spent all we rightfully spent all that time on succession as we as it needed, but we got to spend a few minutes talking about the latest episode of Barry. It takes a psycho was the title of the episode. Pretty, 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 pretty big for some, maybe even a devastating episode. So the way I'm going to look at it is this: I'm going to break it up into the supporting characters. And because they basically all the supporting characters carry this episode until the very end, and everything will dovetail. I think it'll be the easiest way. Um, because it is until the very end where Barry does finally appear, although in the, he he is present throughout the episode in the form of everything from news reports, reactions, and the ever present helicopters up above. So he, it feels like he's hovering above the episode, like a gawky specter the whole damn time. Yeah. So I have, I have a plan in my mind of how to do this. And I think it'll become clear as I go through it. We'll start with Fuchs. I'm going to, and again, we're, we're, oh, we're not recapping every moment of the episode. That's, Silly, uh, and plus we don't have time. Fuchs here. Is this the most noble Fuchs has ever been? Is this a karmic redemption for him to some degree? I mean, although I don't think he, I mean, he doesn't actually know where Barry is, but the fact he's still 
but he did try to save. He basically did try to save him before it all happened to begin with. Um, and the way the, the the inmates react to him when he comes in the room, compared to the fact that he was someone who was being mocked, so he's getting maybe for the first time he's getting mad respect from you know the rest of the community there. So it, it's just it's an interesting um, turn with him. I don't know if there's much more they'll do with Fuchs at this point. I kind of. I kind of doubt you don't. You can kind of leave him to the side at this point, but we'll see what the, what Hater and the crew decide. But if this is where we leave him, and again, he may he may be in every single episode and play a significant part. Who the hell knows? But it, but it feels that's what they've kind of done with him, and and either he, he and maybe he's maybe he's earned it. I don't. I, I mean, that's it's hard to say. I mean, it 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 feels like it feels like Fuchs in this episode paid his penance. To Barry, that um, yeah, he he tried to save him. You know, he wants Barry to be okay. He he changed his mind after realizing what he'd done and how Barry was and his role in it. And it's really, it was really wild to see them so liberally use Brain Man and like actually employ the theme. Oh, oh, the previous episode. I think in the in the previous episode. And that sort of like his idea of protecting Barry no matter what carried through this episode. That you see like what the, the whatever epiphany he had, like he's held on to. Right. Absolutely. So let's stay on the wrong side of the law. Let's go, go, go. To Noho. Noho Hank. One of the big ones for the episode. You get the sand scheme. You get that scene where almost everyone is eliminated. And, you know, it won't... At this point, it feels like you can't have a Barry episode without having at least one scene sequence which does something kind of somewhat... Even if it's just slightly different or inventive. And when the screen basically is all black... And we just hear muffled sounds for for at least thirty seconds, several whatever, however long it is. You don't see that too often. You just don't. Um, but that's the scene where Cristobal is almost buried forever. And then what ends up happening between the reveals? By the way, I'm I always forget that Michael Ironside is, is indeed still alive. I'm very happy about that. I'm, you know, I, I'm doing that. That, as you know, I'm doing that podcast. Scott forgot the '80s. I don't think I've. I don't think any of the movies I've seen have had Michael Ironside show up yet. Which is like, wait, I thought Michael Ironside was like the bad guy in every '80s movie. I haven't seen one yet. God. Oh no, he's in. He's in Top Gun, right? So I did see him in one. Isn't he in? Top, I think he's in Top Gun. I'm going to say he's in Top Gun. Anyway, um, so. We, Without going through every, well, we're gonna let us get to the, to the gist of it. Hank makes the decision to go along with the what is what is countrymen, shall we say? Um, because otherwise, I mean, they already thought they were gonna wipe them all out anyway. Although technically, Hank ends up wiping them all, out, so it's kind of I guess the same thing happens, other than. He himself doesn't get killed, and hopefully, and at, at least initially, neither does Cristobal. Um, but this was some powerful stuff. 
I mean, I mean, it's definitely that actor is probably his his biggest uh, dramatic turn since um, the since when he was trapped with when he was chained up that, in that other uh, last season, whatever. Um, I don't know if I knew that that was going to happen, and uh, at least not when this episode started that they, they were going to kill off that character. That 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 was kind of a, a little a bit of a shock, you know. I knew it was going to happen at a certain point, though. When just him not talking to them, I said, "Oh, that's not going to go well." That 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 how's that going to stand? And I'm just I'm just waiting for how it was going to happen. I I just thought Hank was going to do it himself, actually. But either way, it's still it's still pretty brutal. So I, I and you know it's like, oh, hey, you know what this is? It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh and I, I don't know that the surprise was was how it happened when it happened. I thought the biggest surprise was the way Hank talked to Cristobal. Mm. And you realize very quickly like he's completely in on it and it was his idea. Right. It wasn't even like somebody else came in from the outside and did it and he's now trying to explain it it's that in in him saying like your idea basically was naive and stupid and i did this to save our life and now we can now we can run la and i i thought that was the most surprising because it's funny i i thought when i saw it i listened to you uh, i listened to you and jamie and as I talk about it now, when you guys talked about it, she was like, I love Hank. I think Hank's who I'm pulling for. And I wonder if Jamie's pulling for Hank after this episode. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. I think if I'm remembering correctly, I, I think I pointed out. And again, it wasn't a neg- it wasn't a knock on the show because I hate when people use this as a criticism like, like they would do in a show like Succession, quite frankly. Like, oh, I don't know who to root for. No, shut up. You don't need it's, it's, not a, it's not a sports competition. You don't need to root for anybody. I don't know why people, you know, when you're watching Goodfellas, who are you rooting for in Goodfellas? Oh, I really like Ray Liotta. Shut up. You don't like Ray Liotta's character. No one likes his character. Come on. Anyway. Um. <laughs> but but, but it, it, in fairness to her, he has been a very likable character. Oh, no, 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 and no. As, yeah, as you absolutely. pointed out this season, like Cousineau's taking a pretty dark turn. Mm-hmm. Hank's taking now a really dark turn. I mean, he's basically he's basically went in the bedroom and let, you know, Cristobal choke to death, uh, you know, <laughs> and not done a finger to, to stop it. And uh, and I think that's probably the most upsetting thing in this episode that at any just about any moment except tied to the radiator, whenever we go see Hank, like there's a life and a a hope and an optimism that we know is is probably ultimately doomed. We just never expected him to be the architect of it. Right, right, absolutely. Um yeah, I would say the only thing that kind of surprised me and I wasn't I was annoyed that I was surprised by it because it was it was being telegraphed to me right in front of me and I, I just I didn't pick up on it. Um when they fall through the sand and the suddenness of it I was like, oh that okay, didn't didn't know that was gonna happen. I was like, wait, are they just being buried or is is there a grinder under there? <laughs> Which might be horrible, too. whatever. 
Um, and it was so obvious because he's, he's, he kept calling for Chris Wilde to come out with him. So I should, I should realize what was happening, but I didn't. But, and the fact that he takes a selfie of all of them together just before it yes. is really some sick shit too, whatever. Um, okay. So let's skip to the next one. I, I'm going to tell you right now. Cause I, I just have like the names in front of me, whatever. I just realized I left out a name. But I remember. Thank God, I just remembered because you would be like, um, "I think you forgot some kind of kind of important," and that would be Kusinel. I did not list Kusinel. <laughs> My next one was like, "Now let now let's get to Sally." Like, wait a minute, I'm missing someone important here, and I'm not talking about uh, what's what's her name's dad because he doesn't get to he he just appears here and there. He doesn't get to he doesn't he's not going to get the treatment here. Um, he'll be mentioned because he's hanging out outside Sally's. There, he's been mentioned. Kusinel. And what happens? That's bad. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's the shocking one, more oh, so yeah. than this. And I love the conceit that he's just going to sit in the chair with the gun. Oh, that's the gun he got from Rip Torn, I believe. So of course, it, yeah. of course, it's a real. Gun. I love what that said in a previous episode. <laughs> Rip Torn, I'm pretty sure it's a real gun. Exactly. <laughs> of course, it would be. I love that when they did it, that they made the that when you see the silhouette against the the little pane of glass in the door, it does look like Barry's, you know, profile head is what a silhouette would look like, and. It got me because it, not until we see that it's his son, it's like, oh, god damn it, that should have occurred to me that that would happen. And again, because it was right there. I mean, he, he actually asked him early in the episode, and he's like, oh, I can't go, I don't be bothered. He's like, oh, of course he's going to change his mind. Of course, it makes perfect sense. But oh my god. I mean, because it looks to me like he's dead. I mean, I, it, it looked that way to me. It too. looked pretty. De- looked pretty dead to me. It's like going, and then I kept going. Wait, is that the son from the patient? <laughs> Sorry, it was same actor, right? Yeah. Just saying. So, um, if Cousineau wasn't all fucked up before, <laughs> I'll wait till you see this one man play about this. Oh yeah, it's gonna be great. You know, maybe you could do that in German. Anyway, so <laughs> now let's move to Sally. Um, so we have Sally on the set of uh, what looks like some sort of comic book movie nonsense. <laughs> I love we get the director, random, director, the director of CODA, you know, Sean, Sean Hader plays herself. So we have back-to-back weeks that uh, Bill Hader has essentially hired a director to either play themselves or a, a reasonable facsimile of themselves. Um, I mean, the previous the part, as I was talking to Kimber about it the other, before we recorded the other day, and um, he, had, he had listened to another po- – there's a podcast that Bill Hader shows up on every week, apparently. Um, he talked about it, and they, they – Guillermo del Toro had wanted to always be on the, on the show, so they, they, they specifically wrote that part for him. So they're like, oh, so that's why they named the character <laughs> El Toro. Okay, makes perfect sense. Um, I, I even looked into her a little bit, and I thought it was interesting because she actually she 
she did a smattering of acting, you know, you know, especially like 15 years ago, she showed up on a couple shows like Boston Legal or Numbers, and I think her most intriguing credit, which is probably one of her smallest ones, was she was actually an uncredited waitress in a Sopranos episode, so kind of interesting there. But anyway, yeah, they're on the movie set, um, acting coach, another character actor I've seen a billion times. Um, I, I love that the agent pretty much knew what she was up to because it was pretty clear to anyone. Oh, you're you're trying to steal the part. It's kind of right. Um, it's much. I think the only person not picking up on it might be your client. <laughs> he actually gives her a pretty great offer, but but at the point you're when you're watching that scene, you got to wonder: can her ego handle that? And then, as we see from the end of the episode. Probably not. It can't. Because she, she comes back home, and that's where we see um, Jim. I forget. Uh, what's her the, 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 the dead detective's dad, or, you know. Moss, yeah. Moss, thank you. I can't believe I was forgetting his name. Because I didn't write him down. So I think it is Jim Moss, but right. Moss, yeah. And again, I kept thinking of Jim Moss. Oh, so is, is, is uh, Bill Hader going to show up in the back of the car? I kept thinking Jim Hader was going to show up in the back of the car. Maybe that would have been too predictable. Because this show is proving itself not predictable. That's when we get to the closing minutes of this episode. Because she gets into her apartment. And I like that her looking around and she just looks into... I love when you can do a shot where the the next room is dark. And there's that really nice feeling of foreboding. It's the kind of thing that someone like a David Lynch likes to play with. Right. Like if it, Like a David Lynch movie would have a scene where we would just have the camera on that doorway for, like, it would feel like an eternity. And we'd be, like, straining, like, do we see something in there? Is there something in there? There's this unsettling tone that we're hearing. Wait, is is, 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 that, a, is that a form or not? Is that a, Oh, wait, there's a cigarette! You know, <laughs> that would be a Lynchian kind of a moment thing. And I think they were kind of feeding that just a little bit here. Um, but, yeah, somehow, some way... I don't know if we'll get an explanation for how he got out of the prison. We might. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if we did. We might get a little flashback to show how he actually got out. But yeah, Barry's there, and he's barely said much before she says that she will run away with him. And if the episode ended there, which is what I thought was going to happen, we're like, oh, okay, all right, looking forward to next week. But motherfuckers don't end the episode there. <laughs> so what do we say about those final few minutes? I I did I did read something Hater said himself about them. That what that let's call it a flash forward, I guess. It's actually eight years later, which explains the whatever. But what's not certain is it real? He won't even acknowledge himself because what have we been seeing throughout, you know, this season, not to mention towards the end of last season, we get, I've, I've talked about it every time we, we bring up a show, we get these odd little surreal moments and things that are kind of like, oh, that's weird. Is like, oh, he's, and he's hallucinating. He's seeing this. He's that, whatever. Is that what this is? Or it's not presented that way. I think, I think we're taking this as re- reality. And I, I'm, I'm inclined to say it is, but it's really weird. If it is. So that's why it, it was a fascinating ending 
Um, and to play off the discussion you and Jamie had last week, um, it's funny that you all talked briefly about uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel <laughs> and how that flashed forward. Yep. Um, and then Barry does it the very next week and does it in in a way that you establish three things if they're true. He and Sally are still together. Right. Like they're almost like an old married couple that there's a troubled kid, you know, a picked on kid or either his kid or a kid they've abducted or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that, that, that they're responsible for. Um, and they live that the only thing that, that makes me think maybe it's not real is like, that's just a real weird place for there to be a house and it to be alone. Yes. And, um, and b- based upon the recurring image of the sand field and the clean white, you know, sand and the horizon and very little signs of civilization around, it's a really odd place to be. Now, if you're running away from the law, it's probably a great place to be, but, but yeah. it, it could be real, but it, but, but. But my guess is like it's a, you know, to to go back to one of our favorite shows, it's a memory palace. I think it very well could be. I, I'm I'm just I'm I'm just I'm reluctant to, I'm reluctant to be divi- I, I I need to, I want to be decisive because you know if I'm if I'm right I'm right I'm wrong wrong doesn't matter I'm, I'm I don't make money either way. Um, because it's it's interesting. Because if it's real, the first thought I had, which we haven't even touched on, Peter himself is saying it's eight years later, but but anyway, the point is, so Barry, Barry survives? <laughs> you right. know, because cause as I was saying last week, so like, would, would Barry dying at the end of the season shock me? No, not at all. I mean, it would, I'd actually be more shocked if he lives than if he dies, quite frankly, at this point. So the fact that there would even be he was able to even survive for another eight years and he looks, you know, like he's, you know, he's the guy playing Clark Kent on the Superman and Lois show all of a sudden with the glasses and everything. Um, if they, if that's real, I don't think that's the United States. I think they're on the other side of the earth. Maybe. I think that's like Australia or something like that, that, which, which would make sense. Like, well, that, that's pretty as far away you get from the law as you can. And maybe that would be where you have like a weird remote house where you have this, and with this outback kind of look to, to the surroundings. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm or maybe, maybe it's a place that if we see an ultimate resolution between Barry and Hank, maybe it's a foreign place. Hank could send him. Yeah. I mean, I just, the, the point being it's, I do not think it's the U S I just, I don't, I mean, because they'd be, they'd, he'd be too, he'd be, he's the, he's the, he's the number one fugitive, you know, he'd have to be at this point. But, um, the, the, the point is more that it's just the shock of, wait, what? We just got to fast forward. First of all, there's a shock that she wants to go with him. It's not a big shock. It's like, Oh, okay. Interesting. Don't know if I thought that from when you met him and when, when you went to go see him in prison, but you did say you feel safe with him, and he kind of hooked on to that. Um, I, you're kind of enabling him, and he's kind of, you know, but all right. Um, I'm dying to know what... And that, here's where the whole, okay, they won't show us anything but, like, one little 
screen. And was the screen kind of like just an empty space or something? That's what it looked like. Son of a bitch. <laughs> that's uh, that's what it looked like. And uh, but it, it's it's fascinating to think that it, I, it would be really really interesting to have somebody go back and write about all of the opinions this show expresses satirically mm. about actors. Oh yeah. My gosh. Um, and I, my belief is my belief is that Gene Cousineau is going to be credited with the performance of a lifetime. And most of the bad things that have happened are going to end up on his plate. Right. They, they, they also have, also they apparently have very definite feelings about podcasters too. Just saying. Yeah, especially two males that podcast on Thursdays. I know, I know. I was all, I was all ready for that. I was going to base like half our fucking podcast all around that. <laughs> Jerk. Yeah. Anyway, great, great episode. Very, I'm, I'm so intrigued about where they're going to go with this. It's, it's such a beautifully strange show. I really, I really dig it. And, you know, you gotta give it to Hater, man. He's if I'm unless I'm mistaken, like I said at the beginning of the season, I think I think he's directing every single episode. So this is all him. Well, I think there there are a few shows that you and I have talked about over the last few years that really take a run at telling a story, but don't care to make big right turns and big left turns and do odd episodes and, and, you know, take a whole, take a whole episode to do a motorcycle chase or a Kung Fu fight or, you know, or go into the house of somebody who's looks like Michael Jackson in the case of Atlanta. Like there are these shows that, that do these really, really oddball things. Um, but still keep a story and a narrative that keeps you interested. And I mean, Barry, Barry, we're going to miss it when it's gone. Cause it's really done some amazing things. And I, I'm, I, I will say to, to quote from the book of Scott, thank God it didn't stay in the prison all season. Oh my God. I'm so happy about that. No, you have no idea. So I just, I, Oh, by the way, when 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 they're beating Fuchs and then and then Linda Warren just starts to get his kicks in too. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so ridiculous but horrible at the same time. And as far as what you, just going back to what you were saying about other shows, if we want whatever, uh, all all I could think about um, when I was watching this and just in general. And then when you said it, kind of lit the fuse in my brain again. Um, I'd lo- I'd lo- I think some point in the future I want to see like a collaboration between Bill Hader and, and uh, Noah Hawley. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of a different, inventive. Oh, okay, we'll just do one episode. Just this could be beyond the norm, you know, based on just Fargo and Legion alone, you know. Yeah, we're gonna have a UFO show up at a hotel. There you go. Oh, my God, it's so good. And then it'll be, and Hater will be the alien. He'll he'll do the dying tauntaun. <laughs> All right. If if there wasn't enough reason to to wrap things up, I think uh, me r- making rarely comments like that is the signal that I need to wrap this thing up. Plus, it's. We're at like gonna hit two hours and fifteen minutes at this point. Hey, it's like Jamie's here. So if you enjoy this podcast, you know what? You'll probably enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page and join the conversation about shows like everything we've talked about here or anything else you want to talk about. 
Now, you can find us on most podcasting platforms, but you can find all 378 episodes of this podcast over at Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, dot com. You can also find my other podcasting gig, Scott Forgot the 80s, there as well. Just remember, there's only one T in Scott. Just did a new episode this week, Pretty in Pink, really good one. And if you happen to go on Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate and review, hey, either one of those. That would be nice. You can also follow us on Instagram. Serious TV drama is one word. And you can follow us on the Twitter. Our handle there is at STVD podcast. There's probably more I could say here. I won't. Um, we will be back next week with the next episode of Succession and the next episode of Barry. Um, we, will not t- we will not talk about any other TV shows because once we do that, we're opening the door <laughs> to God knows what. Although there's some interesting stuff I want to talk about. No. Whatever. Let's let me. You know what? I'm going to pull into the no rambling zone here. We've talked long enough. Bar- uh, Barry, I called you Barry. Brian, <laughs> Barry, Barry, Brian, Bra- Bra- Brian Berkman. Uh, no, that Scott. It was great. Sorry I missed last week. I'm glad to be back and to talk about this. We're over halfway done with Succession, and I guess about halfway done with Barry. So yeah, lots lots left to cover, but not much more in the tank. So. So hope to talk to everybody next week and good night. Yeah, it'll be we have to complete our succession slash Barry farewell tour. So yeah, thank you for guys out there for listening. And until next time, good night. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.